the topic today um, in general is what is kind of on the horizon, what's around the corner um, when it, in this area of sexuality. And Solomon said, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, and that's true in the area of sexuality. If you go back to Leviticus uh, chapter 18, where God has an extended list of prohibitions regarding sexuality, uh, you'll see there's really nothing. That's 3,500 years ago that was written. There's really nothing new under the sun. Uh, however, there are some things that are gaining steam and, uh, in, in our culture that are already here but are gaining steam. And what makes uh, these things so different in our day and age is the, the Internet. The Internet is really a game changer for us. Uh, it gives minority voices an opportunity to have a majority uh, voice. Uh, it, the marketing power of the Internet uh, enables, again, uh, people that might not otherwise get a hearing to um, not only get a hear, hearing, but the very fact that it appears on the Internet often persuades people that this is, this is something that's a, a, a real thing. And so I'm going to touch on two things that I think are, are in the offing for us and then focus uh, lastly on something that's here but is uh, certainly gaining steam. Uh, first of all, talking about polygamy. You say, well, isn't that illegal in our country? It is. But when the debate was going on over whether or not to legalize uh, same-sex marriage in this country, one of the arguments of those uh, that were opposing it was that this is going to open up the door for any kind of marriage. Um, that was, uh, the other side was saying, no, that's not the case. But it was interesting, on the very day that the Supreme Court handed down the Obergefell decision, which legalized um, same-sex marriage in all 50 states and invalidated the DOMA legislation that had been enacted by a large majority of Congress in 1996, that very same day, a writer over Politico wrote a piece saying now's the time to start pushing for uh, legalized polygamy in the U.S. He said, now that we've defined that love and devotion and family isn't driven by gender alone, why should it just be limited to two individuals? It was interesting, within two weeks, um, a writer over at The Atlantic wrote a rebuttal piece uh, saying the case against encouraging polygamy. And interestingly enough, one of his arguments was we said when we were promoting same-sex marriage that this wasn't going to open the doors to things like polygamy. And so the argument is kind of we should just kind of uh, tamp that down for our season until, uh, until there's a good amount of time that's passed. Um, the next thing that's uh, on the horizon and is uh, gaining much more st uh, steam than poly polygamy is po po polyamory. That might be a new term to you. It's got its roots in all kinds of things from swinging, uh, where married couples would change partners and so forth, um, but is increasing, uh, increasingly becoming a, a, um, a something of interest as an alternative lifestyle to monogamy. Um, a lot has been written just in the last number of years on po uh, polyamory. Um, in 2012, a TV, TV producer by the name of uh, Natalia Garcia asked the question, why is it that we can only marry one person if we love multiple people? And she, uh, she says, who decided that? And she ended up producing a reality show entitled uh, po uh, Polyamory, Married and Dating. Uh, it only lasted one season. Uh, they had some 
uh, some shows for the 2013 season, but it didn't make the cut. And in this show, they depicted two different family entities. Uh, One was a man living with two women, and the other was two married couples living together, not only swapping partners like like the man um, having a romantic and sexual relationship with the other woman, but the two women also having... Uh, relationships, and so this is the this is kind of the new um, the new ideal for non monogamous people. And so you might have a husband and wife in the center of this relationship. They might have a child, but then the husband has a girlfriend, and the wife has a boyfriend, and maybe the husband also has a boyfriend, or the wife has a girlfriend, and then these other extended friends also have relationships. They might have as many as nine people in a in a single household, and this you might go. Wow, and yet, really, when you think about it, this is simply an, an um, uh, almost an automatic extension. When you say that marriage between a man and a woman is not the end of the relation of romantic relationships or sexual relationships, we're going to just stop there talking about those two things. What we're going to spend the rest of our time today talking about is the whole transgendered movement. In 2014, Time Magazine had a cover story. Um, called uh, and was entitled The Transgender Tipping Point. And on the cover of the magazine was Laverne Cox, who was born a man but is now a Hollywood actress, uh, a transgendered woman. And uh, they were absolutely right in saying that this this is the latest, greatest new thing. But they argued in that article that transgenderism was going to be the next civil rights frontier. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that uh, transgender people are saying, we, we want this right, we want that right. If you remember back in 2016, all the bathroom uh, debates, who's allowed to go to what bathroom in a public setting, North Carolina became a flashpoint, and people were deciding that they were not going to set up um, um, businesses in North Carolina. Uh, certain people, uh, certain businesses were not going to have their conventions in North Carolina because North Carolina was trying to draw the line and say, even though you might be a transgendered woman, you cannot use a female bathroom. Uh, and so the, and the transgender movement is making an argument that these things are civil rights that do them, and they compare themselves to um, the civil rights movements of the 1960s. Let me take, we're going to show a video from, uh, I think, a year and a half ago, National Geographic. They had a cover story on transgenderism, and here's a promo for it. It used to be so simple. You were a boy or you were a girl. But that was then. This, the next battleground, transgender rights, is now. Born both a boy and a girl. As we find ourselves in the midst of a gender revolution. She's like, I'm not a boy. I'm a girl in my heart and my brain. There are areas in the brain that correlate with gender identity. When Ellie, who was then your son, said that, is that a little scary? And then the doctor came over and said, well, sometimes babies are not quite a girl and not quite a boy. She would need surgery. These are human rights violations on intersex kids' bodies. There's evidence that seems to show trans brains are, in fact, different. And I use he, him, his. I use they, them, their. I am plural. This is not just one individual, but a whole group of kids. 
At times, do you feel like, whoa, 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 it's too fast, it's, all, it's making me dizzy? What about your mom and dad? Do they call you Brian now? They call me D. Do you wish they'd call you Brian? Yes. But a lot of us don't even have the strength to report a crime. Well, I want to empower other women like us. Your case is going to be heard before the Supreme Court. I'm looking for the same opportunities that my peers enjoy every single day, and that includes using the same restroom. I said, goodbye, Bill, and she became Kate. If you love someone, you're willing to do what it takes. There are people in these societies, they recognize more than two genders. complicated than we've assumed. And with that background, let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, as we look at the spectrum of changes that occur um, in our world, uh, as Katie Couric said at one point, does it make you say, whoa, whoa, it's too fast. It makes you dizzy. And we could just kind of sit back and say, this is, this is crazy or this thing is crazy and um, just kind of stick our heads in the sand and pull back. And yet I think about what Jesus said shortly before he went to the cross in his prayer to you. I'm sending them into the world just like you sent me into the world. We don't have the luxury of saying that we can pull back behind our fortifications and pretend that we're all by ourselves. We just hang out with people that think like us and have a worldview that looks like our worldview, that like the same things we like and dislike the same things we dislike. We don't have that luxury, for we have been sent. We've been sent on a mission We've been sent to a place. We've been sent to a people. We've been sent with hope. And so for our time this morning, help us to think rightly, to think biblically, to think in ways that offer hope to people that may not know you, who may not have even an idea of God, um, who may be deeply, deeply shaped by people that they love. Help us to think rightly, prepare to act and speak rightly, and be filled with the love that only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray against the enemy who hates you, who hates us, and even hates this world. And we pray in the name of Christ for his glory. Amen. All right. We want to talk about, we'll look at this issue today from two vantage points. First one, who am I? And then secondly, who am I meant to be? Who am I and who am I meant to be? The issue for the transgender community is we have people who feel like they're not the right person. Their body doesn't match what they think of themselves as in their mind. 
And so they might be born a man, but they feel like they're really a woman trapped in a man's body. They might have been born a woman, but they feel like they're uh, really a man trapped in a woman's body. And for somebody that has a real distinct fixed idea of themselves in harmony with their biological sex, that might sound like lunacy to you. But people have a very strong experience or story that doesn't follow what many of our stories uh, might be. Uh, if you've been following this uh, conversation at all in the culture, you know that it's, it's not just, though, from the transgender point of view, it's not just that I'm, I'm the different sex than I, my body is. And so, for example, if you were to sign up today on Facebook and they want your profile... Um, unlike maybe 10 years ago where you would fill out you're either male or female, you have over 50 options. You're like, how can that possibly be? Well, there are those who, who say, I'm, not, I'm neither male nor female. I'm kind of gender fluid or I'm pansexual or I'm two-spirit or I'm, I'm queer or I'm androgynous or I'm on and on and on. Over 50 designations. And if you, if you set up an account on the Tinder online dating app, you have 40 options, 40 plus options. So it's not as neat and tidy as if just male or female and I feel like I'm not the right, I don't have the right body for what my psychology is. And we, we are not going to off, have anything to offer to our communities as people made in the image of God, if we don't actually listen to their stories and hear what it feels like, what it seems like for them. A couple of years ago, um, a psychologist by the name of Dr. Deborah Davis wrote a piece in Psychology Today about a male friend that had come to, up to her at a party, pulled her aside, and he says, do you know anything about gender dysphoria? He was in his early 30s, <clears throat> and she um, listened to his story and realized that he felt like he was a, a woman trapped in a man's body. And this is, she recounts his story in here. She says, as it turns out, for as long as he could remember, he knew he was a girl, despite, in spite of everything, everyone's natural assumption that if you have male anatomy, your gender identity is male. By the way, the transgender movement distinguishes between um, by, uh, uh, your, your sex, your biological sex, and your gender identity. For his first three decades, he suppressed his true identity due to social pressures, family expectations, and simply not knowing that his thoughts and feelings were valid. To him, living as a male was like wearing a scratchy, ill-fitting suit. He often felt uncomfortable, depressed, and anxious. Finally, he got to the point where he realized that if he wasn't going to express and live as his authentic self, his only other option was to commit suicide. To him, he had two choices, come out or die. Now, that might sound utterly absurd to you if you've never talked to a person who feels this way. A couple of years ago, a post-punk rock group by the name of Bad Sons, S-U-N-S, wrote a song called Salt. And these are some of the lyrics, and it speaks about a a man who feels like he should have been a woman. Stuck inside of the wrong frame, I don't feel attached to this name. My body I must reclaim with different eyes and no shame. Look in the mirror and tell me what it is like to be free. How do I grasp reality when I don't have 
an identity. And you have to understand that these people feel like their, their identity is missing because they're this man biologically, but they're this woman up here, and they don't have an identity for, uh, for that piece of them. Now, we've mentioned on a couple occasions the DSM-5, uh, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Last week, we were talking about same-sex relationships. We said back in 1973, the American Psychiatric Association removed homosexuality from its list of mental disorders. In 2013, they didn't remove gender dysphoria, but they tweaked it. And they concluded, they concluded that um, if you have this tension, this dispute between your body and your mind, uh, that's not a mental disorder. But if it causes you great stress, that is a mental disorder. And so it's still on the books, but it's being handled uh, in, in different ways. Now, how many of you have heard the word intersex before in the video? How many of you heard that? Okay. I-N-T-E-R-S-E-X. This is an important word to know in this conversation. And the reason for it is this. Intersex is a condition that some children are born with. Uh, depending on the particular intersex, um, uh, not sure the word to use here, um, but children are sometimes born either with um, some female uh, genitalia and some male genitalia. These are intersex children. They're not explicitly male. They're not explicitly female. And since the 1950s, doctors have been deciding at birth which they're more likely to be and performing surgery on these little babies. Now, this has become a very, very um, controversial thing. It's not being done as much today. But you have that kind of thing informing the transgendered movement. And they're looking at this and saying, you have uh, babies that have both genitalia or they have a mixture of chromosomal um, uh, chromosomes in their body. Maybe they're missing a Y or they have an additional Y or they have extra X's. And so they're not, we can't neatly fit them into either male or female categories. Now, again, depending on the variation of uh, this unique <laughs> aberration, it may occur somewhere uh, one in every 2,000 births or one in every 10,000 births. It's not a normal anomaly. But the argument goes like this. If you have people that are not distinctly male or female, why are you arguing that, the, that we must either be male or female and we must conform to our biological sex when even in biology there's room for flexibility. And I would say here as one who sees the world through the biblical lens that our world, if it's not broken, it is at least cracked. And not everything is right as it should be. However, the exception does not invalidate the rule. And one of the things that we have to say as we look at the transgender movement is that all of us, you and I included, all of us see things about ourselves from time to time that are not right, that don't conform to reality. Uh, years ago, 
way back in the day, there was a, a brother and sister singing team that I really enjoyed. How many of you remember the Carpenters? Any, any people old enough? Oh, we must have the old crowd this morning. Karen Carpenter had a voice that was absolutely amazing. I mean, it was smooth as silk, soft rock. Karen Carpenter, um, though, would go to the mirror and she would see herself in the mirror as fat and chubby. And so she kept trying to lose weight, kept trying to lose weight, more and more weight. She was hospitalized a couple of times. Finally, she died at the age of 33, and she weighed 82 pounds, still convinced when she would look in the mirror that she was fat, that she was chubby, that she needed to lose weight. Um, I wonder how many of you have ever heard of the mental disorder, body, I have to read it off here because I forget how it goes, body integrity identity disorder. So with this disorder, people who, have, uh, who are very healthy, have no disabilities, see themselves in their mind as disabled. They want to be disabled. The most common um, uh, variation on this is that they see, uh, uh, they see the two good legs and they think they should be amp- that one of them should be amputated. It's usually the right one for some reason. And people will go so far as to uh, bind their leg up, tie it up, and get crutches and walk around like that. And there's a whole underground medical uh, community that is willing to do amputations. You get the right person to refer you to the right person, and they'll cut your leg off, even though it's healthy. Jules Shooping lives in North Carolina. And she remembers from the time she was perhaps five, six years old, her mother telling her, if you look at the sun, you'll go blind. And for some reason, this fascinated her. And she began to think about herself being blind. She, she wanted to be blind. And she, she would actually do that. She would actually stare into the sun. It didn't make her go blind, which disappointed her. It wasn't just a passing phase because by the time she was um, in her late teens... She was tying something around her eyes and trying to walk with a cane. By the time she was 20 years old, she had become uh, proficient in reading Braille. Somewhere along the way, she found a psychologist who was sympathetic, sympathetic to her psychological desire. And they researched ways that she could be made blind and concluded the best, most effective way was if they poured drain cleaner in her eyes. The day came, she laid down on the couch. This friend poured drain cleaner in her eyes. She said the pain was horrific. But she was comforted by the fact that she was finally going to, finally going to become blind. Some of it seeped out of her eyes, down her skin, burned her skin. When they were sure that the damage had been done, uh, her friend packed her up in the car and took her to the hospital. The doctors at the hospital tried to save her sight against her wishes. When she came out of the surgery, she opened her eyes and was disappointed to see that she could see the television screen. 
Now, that was temporary because in six months she was blind, 30 years old. You see, these are extreme cases, but isn't it true that all of us see things about ourselves that are not right? Sometimes we see ourselves as really, really good people. And sometimes we see ourselves as really, really bad people. Sometimes we see ourselves as successful and we're not. Sometimes we see ourselves as failures and we're not. That's why the scripture admonishes us to think rightly about ourselves. Because the prospect that we don't think rightly about ourselves is pretty high. That should inform us as we think about who people think they are biologically, gender-wise. Who was I meant to be? The person who is, has gender dysphoria thinks that they were meant to be someone else. Let me take you to Galatians chapter 3 and read several verses for you, starting in verse 26. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 26. Now, Paul's writing this to Christians in the province of Galatia, and he says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, having come into relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, the distinctives that were so important before are no longer important. We're, everybody's equal and level at the cross, and our new identity is Jesus Christ. I, I have Jewish ethnicity or I have Gentile ethnicity, but that's no longer the most important thing. I, I'm a slave or I'm a freedman. But my economic status is no longer the most important thing about me. I'm a man. I'm a woman. But those gender distinctions are no longer the most important thing about me. The most important thing about me is that I am in relationship with God through my faith in Jesus Christ. I have a new identity that is eclipsing ethnicity, economic status, gender, and a thousand other things. Now, now hear me out. Out there on the streets of our culture, there are discount identities being sold and marketed as the most important thing about us. And so we're, we're told that the most important thing about us is our financial stature. How much money we have or have the capacity to make. And, and, and yet this, the scriptures say, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26, he said, When you were called to Christ, there were not many of you that were well off financially. Another discount identity that's being sold is the educational status that we have. We conclude that determines how smart we are, but that's not true at all. 
Most these days, most anybody can get a degree if they work hard enough at it. But if we have a master's degree or maybe a doctorate degree, degree that, really, that really marks us. Have you ever been in the presence of somebody who has a Ph.D. and you make the mistake of addressing them by their first name? And they go, oh, that's doctor. I'm like, dude. <laughs> if you have to point it out, it's a problem. And Paul says the same thing about wisdom in that same passage. Not many of you were wise or you had all this intellect going for you when Christ called you. Another identity that's being hawked on the streets is appearance. You are, what, what is significant about you is if you can present yourself well as beautiful or handsome, this makes you significant. Listen to what it says about our Savior himself in Isaiah 53, 2. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract him to us or attract us to him. The one who made all beauty didn't have an identity of beauty. Popularity, identities that telling young people especially, you're only worth something if you are popular in your school. And gender is another identity that's being sold, discounted on the street. Say, this is really who you are. This is your essence. This is, this is what makes you you. This is who you were meant to be. The problem is with these kinds of identities is anybody can get them. All you have to do is access, access, access sex hormones and a surgeon. And I want to argue that God himself offers us the ultimate identity. It is a premium identity. It is not discounted, but it's offered for free. And that is this identity that Paul talks about here in Galatians, an identity that says you are one made in God's image, two even though you are a sinner, your sin has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And because you put your faith in him, you have been transformed from a slave to God's child. You're like, where can I get an identity like that? It's not from sex hormones. It's not from a surgeon. It's from a savior. Let me read a couple of verses in John chapter 10. This is what Jesus says. Beginning of verse 9, he says, I am the gate. Those who come in <clears throat> through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. By the way, buried underneath that line is the implicit suggestion that apart from him, all are enslaved. But in him, we're free to come and go. I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The NIV says, I have come that they might have life and have it 
to the full. We we have to be engaged. This conversation is happening all around us. And as God's ambassadors, we need to be engaged in this conversation. As I suggested in my prayer, we, we don't have the luxury of just sticking our heads in the sands and pretend and pretending this is not happening or just saying, I just want to, I don't want to be part of that conversation. If that's the case, people like we just described who don't see themselves rightly or who God meant them to be are being led by a movement that is gathering steam like a juggernaut. And it's interesting that some of the people who have had sex change surgeries, sex reassignment surgery, are now detransitioning, and they're going back to what they were. They're finding out it wasn't quite all that it was cracked up to be. We need to be part of the conversation. We want to be part of the conversation. Some of you are probably saying, are you ever going to say, is it wrong to become a different gender than your biological sex? I think so. Jesus, when he's answering questions about divorce in Matthew 19, quotes um, Genesis chapter 1. And he says, in the beginning, God made them male and female. In other words, God assigns. Say, well, what about these intersex people? Not sure about that. I'm just pretty sure that again the exception does not invalidate the rule. God made them male and female. I think the other piece that we have to answer that question with, with a yes is because our, our, the gender identity is not just a, a it's not just a um, and narrative of an activist group, but it's connected to um, biological sex and actual sexual activity. And so, for example, Caitlyn Jenner, everybody knows the name Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner, Olympic champion, Olympic champion who transitioned to a woman uh, several years ago, is now dating and probably going to marry another woman by the name of Sophia Hutchins. So a man who was, uh, someone who's born a man, has had sex reassignment surgery, is now a woman, is dating another woman who was also born a man. So now the whole question of same-sex relationships come into play. And parents, I don't envy you because you're going to have to have some of these kind of conversations with your children. And it can take your breath away some of the complexity of it and so forth. But we need to, at the end of the day, rest our case in the God who has made us in his image, male and female. Educate yourself on this. There's all kinds of information out there on the Internet, both from secular culture as well as Christian vantage point. Educate yourself on it. Become skilled in having the conversations. You say, how do I have a conversation with someone who uh, sees themselves as transgender? What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Say it with me. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. That includes your transgender neighbor. It simply will not do to ridicule people, to mock them, struggles that they're having that are very real for them. Simply won't do. We need to bring to the table both an understanding, a biblical understanding, an understanding of the challenge that these people feel, as well as a love that Christ can give them for them. There's no doubt in my mind that there are probably people in our church who feel to some degree the way some of these people feel. And we want to be able to walk with them in Christian love to find clarity about how they see themselves versus who God has meant them to be and offer them therein real hope. Let's pray together. Easy to say, Lord, that we just live in a messed up world. And in saying that, pretend as if the world has suddenly got messed up recently. Got messed up a long time ago. I got messed up. We all got messed up. I'm so glad that there is a Jesus offered to messed up people like us. And give us both the wisdom, the love, and the winsomeness to speak to a culture that is cracked and needs to hear hope, the kind of hope that we can find in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.